this is Charlottesville Tomorrow. Charlottesville Tomorrow is a nonprofit organization engaging the public on critical quality of life issues so we make informed choices for our community's future. Visit us on the web at seavilletomorrow.org. On November 7, 2017, voters in the Rio Magisterial District go to the polls to elect their representative to the Albemarle County School Board. This recording is Jeremia DeMaro's October 5, 2017 interview with Mary McIntyre. McIntyre is being challenged by Katrina Carlson in the open seat contest. Ms. McIntyre, thank you for participating in this interview with Charlottesville Tomorrow. The complete audio recording and written transcript for this interview will be available online. Information from this interview will be used in the compilation of the nonpartisan voter guide being produced by Charlottesville Tomorrow. Charlottesville Tomorrow does not endorse any candidates, and our goal is to provide information to the public so they can make an informed vote on issues primarily related to land use, transportation, public education, and community design. As you are aware, the first two questions you will be asked have been provided in advance. For the others, you have been provided only the topic in advance. All school board candidates will be asked the same questions. We ask that you keep these questions confidential until all candidates have been interviewed. Each candidate will be provided an opportunity to review the excerpts selected from, for the voter guide before its publication. Are you ready to start? Yes. Question number one. Please describe your past experience that qualifies you to be on the Albemarle County School Board. Sure. Um, well, I've spent my entire career in public education. Um, I have three degrees in education, and over the course of my teaching career, since I started in 2003, I've worked in five different school systems. Um, I've worked in Raleigh, North Carolina, Newport News, Virginia, Ramstein, Germany, Kaneohe, Hawaii, and then most recently in Albemarle County. Uh, last school year, I just worked part-time, four hours a day, doing reading intervention tutoring at Agner Hurt Elementary School. So I've not had a traditional career in education, which is one of the things that I think actually makes me a really good candidate. Um, the experience of teaching in so many different places really has given me a strong understanding both of educational policy, but it's given me the ability to work closely with many different kinds of people in many different situations. Um, and I'm also a parent of two children who are in elementary school, so I'm invested in our schools from the inside and from the outside, and I think that that gives me a really valuable perspective. Question number two. What is your top priority for action by the school board during the next four years? Yeah, well, I think it's important to acknowledge that um, what one member, one board member can and cannot do. Um, while I may join the board with my own list of priorities, there are six other board members who have their own list of priorities. So part of the job of the school board, I feel, is to build relationships, um, both with each other on the school board, but also with the board of supervisors. So when it's time to push forward um, some priorities in front of others, you, those relationships are already established. Um, with that said, I believe that the biggest cloud that's hanging over our head right now has to do with the, the low performance in our Title I schools here. Um, in a school system with only 15 elementary schools, four of our elementary schools are designated focus schools by the state. 
Um, that means that they have significant proficiency gaps between the highest and the lowest performing students, and they're not meeting annual benchmarks. That puts them in the bottom 15% of our schools in the state. So that coupled with a really complicated redistricting process um, that encapsulates our students with the most need in the urban ring elementary schools, I feel like we need a clear plan or a strategy of how we're going to, uh, to, to target that. And we can certainly debate the perils of standardized tests because when we're scoring schools and, and trying to rate school quality, a lot of people refer to the standardized test scores, and those are really controversial. Um, and I am definitely for standardized test reform, but as long as the state requires them, we have to administer those tests. So I think we really need immediate targeted intervention into our focus schools, um, and we need an honest evaluation of the effectiveness of what we are doing so far. And if those schools need more resources and more support, then that's what we need to give them so that we can meet the needs of every child at those schools. Question number three. What are your priorities for the Charlottesville-Albemarle Technical Education Center, and should K-Tech build a new facility at Piedmont Virginia Community College? Well, my father was actually, uh, he's a retired teacher. He started his career working in a factory, in a machine factory, um, making metal parts for machines. And then after doing that for almost 20 years, he decided to become um, a high school vocational ed teacher, and he became a, a shop teacher. So I feel a real connection to K-Tech in that way. Um, I feel like it fills um, it fills a void for some students who are not necessarily interested um, to go to college. And I don't think that every student needs to go to college. Um, there are certainly many career paths that students can take once they get certain trainings and certifications where they can go straight into a well-paying job straight out of high school. So. Um, and what we're hearing really from industry leaders is that there is a shortage of skilled workers as well. And so I think that in conjunction with uh, the professionals in the industry, we really could uh, make sure we're growing and developing our programs based on what their needs are and what the current job market is looking like. So I think that the priority should be to definitely keep KTech going, but to, um, to collaborate on that and expand on that based on um, student interests first, but also what the industry, uh, the folks in the industry are saying. But as far as moving KTech to PVCC, uh, you know, I've heard talk of that. Um, I think that it, it doesn't sound like a bad idea because the location of PVCC is really central. It's right off of 64, so it's easily accessible, uh, especially for those of our students in the, in the more southern part of the county, too. Um, so if that's what the Board of Supervisors and the school board decide to do, then you know I would certainly support that. Question number four. Why do we have persistent achievement or opportunity gaps? How do we ensure student success is no longer predictable by student race or any other cultural, economic, or social factor? These are huge questions. Um, I feel like if anybody knew the exact answers to these questions, then we would have already implemented it across our country and hopefully would have solved the problem. Why we have persistent achievement and opportunity gaps is really complicated, but I think when you boil it down, it comes to the fact that we have had hundreds of years of economic and social injustice in our country that has suppressed people of color, and it has stopped them from um, really fully reaching their potential, from accessing high-quality education, from building generational wealth through things like home ownership. 
Um, and some of it is racism. Some of it is discriminatory policies that have been in place that we have tried to change over time. And I think that we are certainly moving in the right direction, but by no means have we completely solved those problems. So I think that's why they are persistent, uh, because you can't just turn those things around overnight. Um, we have to make them a priority, and we have to also understand that they are, uh, they are going to have to be a constant source of focus for us um, and, and give it time and be flexible in what it is that we're doing as well to try and address those things because, uh, as I said, no one has figured out what the perfect solution is. So we need, to, uh, we need to find things that are working in other places and try them here. Um, the things that we are trying here that are not working, we need to change and we need to do other things. So um, how do we ensure student success is no longer predictable by race or cultural economic factors? One of the best ways we can do that is to just ensure equity of resources among all of our schools, but also recognize that some schools have more needs than others, and they're going to need more resources, and they're going to need more support. Um, and so we need to be sure to provide that when that is what they need. Um, I think that in the county, if you look at our housing situation, you will see that we have a fairly segregated housing situation that we have created ourselves. And so as long as the borders of our school districts follow the lines of our neighborhoods and follow the lines of our major roads, we are going to have um, definitely racial disparities between schools. You know, I, I, if you look at the makeup of a school like Hollymead and you compare it to the demographics of a school like Greer, they are very, very different, but they are only eight miles away from each other. Um, and, and even Woodbrook is only three miles from Hollymead. Very different student populations. And so you can't treat every school the same. You have to give them what they need, um, and you have to remain flexible, and we just are going to have to keep our focus on it, for sure. Question number five. How should the school division ensure student success in the world of work and college beyond academics? Sure. Well, student success is a, is a really individualized thing. I mean, what's success for you is not the same as success for me. Um, and so we have to recognize that, sure. But I think that one of our biggest goals, we say we want our students to be um, college, career, and citizenship ready. And all of those things are really important. Um, being prepared to go to college uh, is important, but if they're not going to go into college, we, we need them to have a plan, you know, if it's going to be obtaining certifications or, or going straight into a job. We want our students to succeed when they leave our schools. So all of those things are definitely a priority. Um, and as far as being citizenship ready, you know, the, the world is changing and um, our students need to be prepared for what it is like outside of Albemarle County too. And so with the help of technology, but also um, just the really innovative and diverse curriculums that we've brought into the county, I think that we are, what I, I think we are leaders across the state, and some would say across our country, um, especially in our high school curriculum. So I think that's one of the best ways we can prepare our students for success. But I know one of the strategic priorities that our school board just recently chose was developing student passions. They really feel that um, 
that the days of school systems prescribing a list of classes you have to take before you graduate, that's the old way of doing things. And that students um, are certainly capable of figuring out what their passion is, and the school can help them direct, direct a curriculum around that. And there's that's still really valuable learning that goes on there. Um, and so I, I'm looking forward to seeing how the high school 2022 initiative um, is enacted when it starts I believe next year is the first year of it. Question number six. Name both the revenue item and an expense item in the school budget that you're concerned about and tell us why. Sure. Well, I mean, a revenue item, I can think of a, a few of them that I'm concerned about. I mean, our federal funding is at risk right now. And you may look at our, at our school budget and say, well, but federal funding is, you know, maybe 5%. It's not a huge chunk of the pie. Uh, but that federal money that's coming into our school system is, is hugely important for our special education services. Uh, if that money went away, we just don't have it to make it up. And so things like, um, you know, uh, the, the special education services that we're providing um, at all levels, elementary through high school, I think would really have a hard time. Um, and so to me, that's concerning. I, I think that we need more details um, about what the federal budget is going to be. And certainly, um, if Medicaid is cut, then that's going to be, that's really going to affect that too. Um, another concern that I have is just, you know, our state education budget has not recovered from the recession and we are not getting as much money from the state per pupil uh, as we were in even 2008-2009 and so we have more pupils now and we still need to provide the same services to all of them but we're getting less money so we really need the state to fully fund our education budget and to get those levels back up now luckily here in Albemarle County our board of supervisors really has prioritized education and they've made that money up. So we haven't had to make drastic cuts, but we don't have a guarantee that's always going to be the case. 63% um, of the county's budget goes to the school system, and that's a lot. So uh, we're going to have to definitely ask the state to fully fund that budget. Um, and if it looks like the trend is going to be that they're not going to do that, we certainly don't want to have to make cuts. We're going to have to figure out um, other ways to give our students all the support that they need. So that's, those are my concerns about revenue. Um, as far as expenses, I, you know, I met with Dean Tistat, who's this, the chief operating officer, and he has a huge notebook, and he, we went through the budget page by page by page, and whatever I wanted him to explain to me, he's extremely patient, and he explained it to me. Um, and I don't see a lot of areas where we have fat we can trim off. I mean, the majority of our budget is kept just keeping the schools running. Um, and even last year, the superintendent only asked for one initiative uh, out of many other things that people were wanting her to include. And she focused just on the equity and access initiative because she knows we don't have a lot of extra room in our budget to, to push these brand new special programs. So, you know, as far as expenses, one thing that I have heard from other teachers as I'm working with them is that they really um, feel that we could do better with our professional development as far as the choices that we're offering them and letting the teachers 
tell the school system what kind of professional development they feel that they need and then providing that. Um, so I think that we could probably do a better job in uh, the professional development services that were um, provided to the teachers. They're, we're providing them, but they're also required to take it. So, you know, every teacher, that touches every single teacher in every single school in our county. I think that we could certainly look at that. Question number seven. What would you change about teacher compensation and performance measurements if elected? Well, the, you know, the county recently hired a consultant to do a study on our teacher compensation because I, I believe last year, I think they got 200 letters or something from teachers in the county saying, we really feel we are not being paid enough. You know, we're struggling. We're not able to afford to live in the community where we are teaching. We can't support our family on a teaching salary. And so I, I really appreciate the fact that the school board took that seriously and decided to look into it. So the consultant um, looked at our comparison market of which school systems we were holding ourselves up against and seeing how our salaries stacked against them. And then they actually decided, uh, they recommended to change our comparison market. So instead of looking at, it was a very wide range of, of you know, probably 30 school systems across the state, they're now comparing us to the top 10 in the state as far as uh, school system quality. And how they're rating the school system quality is they're using uh, a ranking system from an organization called Niche, which is actually a for-profit company. Um, and what's interesting about those rankings is they change every year. And so it, we're not always going to be comparing ourselves to the same school systems year by year. I'm interested to see how that's going to play out. But it was it was his recommendation that we change the comparison market. Um, and it was also their recommendation that we are not comparing uh, salary related to cost of living, but that we are comparing salary related to the cost of labor. And the cost of labor is what is the um, industry paying for that particular job across the state instead of trying to say, but it costs so much to live in Fairfax and it costs this much to live in Richmond. Um, so it was interesting to hear him talk through that process. And basically the, the consultant found that our pay is competitive across the school systems in the state up until about 15 years of experience. And it's interesting, that's right around when the teachers are starting to say, I'm really feeling the pinch, guys. I really am not feeling like I'm being paid fairly. Right at, when we get to about 15 years of experience, the teachers uh, slowly start to drop down. And then they are not being paid uh, at the same rate of their peers across the state. And so I think that we should definitely increase teacher pay um, so that we are co competitive. I would love to be the best in the state, to be honest. I would have no problem with being the best paying school system in Virginia. You know, we like to be innovative in Albemarle County. Let's be innovative and be the leaders of, uh, of teacher pay. And it's not just about making sure our teachers can afford to buy a house. I think that, honestly, teacher compensation across our country is not where it should be. And that this is about elevating the profession. It's about recruiting high quality candidates. It's about retaining the people that we have now, because we do know that on the horizon there is a teacher shortage coming. So, you know, why would someone go into teaching um, when with a master's degree we might pay them 45000 a year and their friend who has a master's degree is making 80000 a year? Uh, it's really hard to, to look at that and compare them. Um, 
Um, so yes, I think that there is a fiscally smart way to do it. I don't think any of our teachers are expecting to double their salary. It's not what they're asking. Um, but we do need to pay attention to the data and make sure we are, we are being, you know, we are compensating our employees fairly. Question number eight. What would you like to see change about the way the school board and the superintendent do business both at its meetings and outside the public eye? What would I change about the, the way they do business at meetings? Um, well, I do, you know, in work sessions, they have public comment toward the end of the meeting, which I think is good because then the public who want to speak sit and listen to the whole meeting. <laughs> and then they can also speak about what was done in that meeting. In uh, the, the school board meetings that aren't work sessions, public comment is at the very beginning, and then half the audience leaves. Um, so I think that I think it would be nice to have public comment at both meetings be toward the end anyway. Um, you know, one thing that just happened recently that, that I was concerned about was when Dr. Moran announced her retirement, they also simultaneously announced that they were appointing Dr. Haas to replace her. And I, frankly, I was shocked. I, I expected there to be a national search to replace her. For a school system of our size and our caliber, a national search is not unheard of. It's really pretty common. However, um, after hearing their explanations about why it was done, I certainly understand that. But there are community members who are saying to me in just the last few days that they feel like this was an example, one of many times where the county just does what they want to do and they expect the community to just take it, to just understand it, without any input from the community and really without any transparency of that process. The decision was made by the time it was shared with the public. And so I think that if you have, um, if you have a community that is saying, hey, I'm not seeing the transparency that I really would like to see, and then you go and do something like that, that's concerning to me. Um, with that said, you know, I have met with Dr. Haas, I've had multiple conversations with him, I've talked to a lot of people who have worked with him. He is really, um, he is highly respected, and he knows this community, he knows our schools inside and out, and I have no doubt he will be, you know, a fantastic superintendent. So um, it's not a criticism of Dr. Haas, and in fact, I think the result of a national search may have even ended up with him being hired to replace Dr. Moran. Uh, the, cr the criticism was more just of the process and how it happened. Um, and they should know, you know, the community is concerned about it. Question number nine. If elected, what will you do to help our community move forward in the aftermath of this past summer's violent demonstrations, and how will you seek to best represent and effectively serve our economically and racially diverse communities? Wow. Well, I think the whole community has had a really um, life-changing and transitional summer. That There have been so many people who have woken up, finally, um, to the racial division that has been under our noses this entire time in this community. Um, and unfortunately, that most of us, when I say us, I'm white, so I feel like most of us have just been complicit in it. Um, and this is our opportunity to really speak up for things that we see that we would like to see change. Um, recently, I've, I've spent so much time just 
listening to what people are saying and learning, um, asking questions and, and reflecting about what my part is, what role have I played, what role can I play in the future. Um, I've learned about you know the housing discrimination policies that we've had, gentrification, um, and what that does to a community, and white flight, and why that happens, how it happens. Uh, and all of those things have happened here, and have happened here recently, and we need to acknowledge that. Um, you know, I've, I've talked with people about our disproportionate suspension of students of color here, even all the way down to preschool. Um, that is real. That is factual. And, you know, sometimes things that are uncomfortable to talk about really do need to be pointed out so that we can uncover them and tackle them uh, together. So, you know, I don't claim to speak for people of color because I will never know what it is like to live as a person of color in this community or in this world and experience the things as they experience them. I consider myself an absolute ally um, and an advocate for them um, and an accomplice <laughs> if that's what they need and I do seek to amplify their voices because I think that for a long time people of color um, have not been represented, have not been included, and they certainly have expressed that, and they want to be a part of the solution. Um, so if I can use my position of privilege to help that situation, then that's what I will do. Question number 10. What are your priorities for the school division's future facility needs? Yeah, well, um, I've attended some long-range planning committee meetings, which were really, really interesting, just the details that they get into as far as the growth areas of the county um, and the projected uh, enrollment for different schools. I've learned how they, do, how they project the enrollment, looking at birth data, and then that's how they figure out what the relative size of a kindergarten class will be five years later. Um, one thing that we know right now, not even five years from now, our high school is overcrowded, Albemarle High, is is just bursting at the seams. And there's been talk about us needing a fourth high school. Now, where it would go to, to adequately address the overcrowding at Albemarle hasn't really yet been nailed down, but I know that the school system has recognized that, there, that we do need a more capacity at high school, at the high school level, and it's not just um, adding on to the three high schools that we have, and it's not something that just changing, <coughs> excuse me, changing the districts of the schools will, uh, will solve either. So I've heard talk of another bond referendum. Uh, the last one passed, you know, that was the one that, that funded the Woodbrook expansion, but it also, it, it put money into every single school in the county, um, technology upgrades, science lab upgrades, things like that. So if we have, uh, we, we possibly have another bond referendum coming up in the future, and I believe that that would be to address um, high school capacity issues, but I haven't been privy to all of those conversations. Um, we have had land that was proffered to the county for um, an elementary school in a development that's not there yet, off, but it's off of North, North 29 North, the Brook Hill development. Um, so I anticipate that they will put an elementary school on that land once the neighborhood finally materializes. Um, I know they, they do need an expansion at Crozet Elementary. Um, Brownsville is, is huge. Brownsville Elementary is very, very big, and Crozet has projected um, growing enrollment. But when you look at counties in other parts of, uh, sorry, schools in other parts of the county, 
you know, broadest wood, if you look at the 10-year numbers, actually shows declining enrollment. And Stony Point, over in the other side of the county, also shows declining enrollment. Our rural schools, uh, are we're, see, we're going to see the numbers start to go down because the development isn't happening out there, the, all the jobs aren't really out there, public transportation doesn't really go out there. So uh, you, we're going to have to figure out how we're going to balance out our student population. Um, without having children on the bus for an hour in the morning and an hour in the afternoon, because that's not the ideal solution either. So yeah, definitely I think a new high school is probably on the horizon. Um, elementary expansions are going to be needed in a couple places. And then, um, yeah, there, a new elementary school up on 29. Question number 11. What are your views on the role of technology in education, and what issues related to technology should the board be responsible for addressing? Yeah, well, uh, man, I, I've realized that, like my children, my, my son is seven and my daughter is 10, and they never know, they will never know what life is like before cell phones, before laptops, before instant connectivity. Um, uh, that just blows my mind, <laughs> but that is their reality, and so it is our school's reality. I remember when cell phones were first uh first becoming popular, the schools really, really fought it. You couldn't even bring it to school or they would confiscate it, you know, and there were, um, the, and now you see kids with them all day long, all the time, no big deal. So I think that the technology is already here, but technology changes so, so quickly. So we as a school system, we really need to be flexible. Um, we need to make sure that we are investing into not necessarily the brand newest thing, but what what we know will be beneficial to our students. Um, I know the county is is uh, having high-speed high internet run to every single school. Um, it's cable, it's, what is it, fiber optic cables. They sh I saw a big, big map and they've got the lines going and you know, within the next few years, every single school in our county will have high-speed internet that the students can access for free from their homes which is to make sure that across the county, no matter where you live, you have that ability. Um, so I think that's a really good step that they're taking. Um, one of the things about technology that I have heard some parents talk about, though, is their concern over uh, if their child is just going to be on the computer all day. You know, we don't want to think of... Um, the future of education being our kids just staring at a computer screen with headphones on. And I'm not saying that that's what we are doing right now, but, uh, but definitely parents are, are asking questions like, well, how much computer time a day is my kindergartner supposed to have? How much is a reasonable expectation? And those sort of things. Um, and we need to be aware of those concerns of parent, that parents are having. Uh, another concern, <clears throat> excuse me, that I have has to do with student privacy, the privacy of their data. You know, we give our students a login to our, to our system and to all of these programs that we have licenses to, for instance, ST Math. Um, there's another one called Raz Kids. And their data is collected. I had to sign a form for it by that company all school year, and the data no longer belongs to me. It belongs to them. Um, if there's a breach of their system, if they're, are they collecting a portfolio of my child's data that they're going to have, you know, over their entire school career, and then when they go to college, it's going to be uncovered that, well, when you were in second grade, you missed this question on the test. You know, we haven't gotten a lot of answers as far as what is going to be done to protect our student privacy, um, and part of the concern too is 
these are for-profit companies. They're they're going to uh, they're run like a business. They have investors they need to answer to, and uh, I am just concerned that the data is going to be sold or it's going to be given away. And we want to make sure that our children understand. Um, the safety aspects of being online and and all of those things. It's just such a complicated, um, it's a complex issue. So one of the things I really like about Albemarle County, though, is that they really have recognized, I think faster than other school systems have, uh, that technology is necessary in every single classroom, um, and they're investing in the one, and they're trying to get to one-to-one. So we have uh, one computer for every student. We're not going to have to have them share and that sort of thing. And it's not all the way down to kindergarten. I think right now we're, we may be one-to-one to third grade. So their goal is to, is to continue to get more into the hands of the kids. And things like 3D printers, I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen that. They were amazing. So the things we're giving the children access to, to learn about and to play with, um, are really incredible and we need to continue to do that. Mary McIntyre, thank you for participating in this interview with Charlottesville tomorrow. Oh, thank you. It's my pleasure.